Well, Merry Christmas. We are uh, very, very glad you chose to join us today on this, this very special day. We, you know, we sing, we sing these Christmas songs every year, but there's something about singing the ones that talk about Jesus being born this happy morning and phrases like that, and actually singing those on Christmas um, that just kind of takes it up a notch for me. So I think that's pretty cool. So it's always good to be together, but it's especially good to be together today. Now, a symbol is something that stands for something else. You know that. And as humans, we seem to love symbols. I don't know if it's related to our need to abbreviate or what. But we love symbols. Um, With small children, I've realized that they learn symbols faster than they learn to read or to recognize words or even letters. And so symbols are important. Um, You know, we'll, we'll travel to visit my parents and my wife's parents this week, and my kids will be able to tell a lot about what's going on by looking at road signs that have symbols on them, much more than they will from road signs that have words on them. They begin to learn what some of those symbols mean. And so symbols are important for them, but they're just as important for us, or at least they seem to be, because we, we put a lot, a lot of them everywhere. And we identify things just as much by symbol as name. Symbols give a lot of instruction and information in a simple image. And there are countless you could probably identify this morning, like this one. You know what this symbol means, or you would. Um, and of course, this one is really, you, you know this one for sure, <laughs> right? That's easy. And hold on. Okay, I'm just making sure that none of you are Batman, because none of you got up and went, you know, went towards, towards the bat signal. That's good. I was just, same thing, first service, Batman wasn't here today. I'm just checking, making sure. And you probably even know this one, even though it's a little more complicated. In case of fire, don't run down the stairs. Use the stairs. That, that, the running piece of that is questionable. You're not supposed to run on the stairs. Yeah, that's valid. And then the, sometimes different symbols end up meaning the same thing like this. Obviously, these all mean peace, but it's possible that you're not sure how each of these symbols came to to mean peace. I know that I, I wasn't sure. What we now call the, the peace sign up there in the corner was first developed by a British artist named Gerald Holtham in 1958. And it was actually based around the language of signal flags. Like when they would spell things out with flags from a distance, there's this whole signal flag language. It's not really something I'm familiar with. Maybe some of you are. And it was based around some letters in signal flag language, the letters... N and D. And that's kind of how they came up with with that shape. And what the N and the D actually stood for in this case was nuclear disarmament. Holtam himself also described the symbol as a person with hands outstretched in despair. And so they used that symbol to protest the making of nuclear weapons in Britain. that That was the point. And when the symbol came to America, its usage was broadened to include the civil rights movement and later as an anti-war symbol, um, especially centering around the Vietnam War. Now the two-finger peace sign over there is kind of similar in look and idea, but it actually got a much different start. It actually started as a symbol of victory, not peace. Resistance fighters in German-occupied territories during World War II used it as a symbol of strength. British Prime Minister Winston Churchill adopted it to stand for English victory. You can see the V, that makes sense. 
And it later came to stand for the end of the conflict. Later in the 60s, it was adopted by Americans as a symbol against war. And then the dove and the olive branch. This symbol has been used by many traditions through history, but Christian symbolism of the dove and the olive branch comes from the story of Noah and the ark. God sent a great flood to wipe out everything on the earth, but Noah was found to be righteous in God's eyes, and so he was spared along with his family. He built an ark to God's specifications. and took his family along with two of every animal on that ark, and then it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And when Noah thought it was time that the water should be receding, he sent out a dove. And when the dove came back with an olive branch, it could only mean one thing, that the water was clearly receding. It was a sign of the promise of peace after the storm of God's judgment. We immediately associate peace with these symbols, but none of them were actually born out of peace. Instead, these symbols came about because of a desperate need for peace in the midst of conflict and unrest. These weren't already peaceful situations. These were peace-deficient situations in which people deeply desired peace to intervene. Peace is defined as freedom from disturbance or quiet and tranquility. But it's most often in situations that are exactly the opposite of that definition that we most recognize our need for peace. And there is no peace like the peace that God provides. And that peace is no different than what we've been, been talking about in that we, we tend to see God's peace most clearly not in the absence of noise, not in the absence of suffering, not in the absence of conflict, but in the midst of all those things. Noise, suffering, and and conflict. Honestly, that's a good description for the world that Jesus was born into. We sing probably one of the most well-known Christmas songs, Silent Night. We'll sing it actually in a little bit here. And that song, it's calming, even soothing. Some of you would, would probably claim it as your favorite Christmas song. It has the potential to bring about peaceful images in our mind, It's a very nice, slow song. In truth, that song has probably served as a worshipful worshipful three-minute respite in the midst of our hectic Christmas preparations this season, if we've sung it or if we've heard it. But the night that Silent Night is about probably wasn't very silent at all. There was conflict, for sure. Conflict among families and nations. There was political unrest. There was Roman oppression in Israel. There was specifically for Mary and Joseph demanding physical travel. And, and you know, we talk about Mary and Joseph having to go to Bethlehem, and, and it, it's become just part of the story to us. But it's important that we remember that, that this was not a trip they would have chosen to take. I've traveled with a pregnant woman <laughs> several times. She heard me say this first service, so I don't have to be that careful. I haven't opened my Christmas present yet, so. No, nobody chooses, as pregnant as Mary most likely was, nobody chooses to take a long journey, let alone the way that they would have had to go about it. On foot, on donkey, over rough terrain. You can hop on a plane or in a car. 
This was physical travel forced on them by the Roman government who forced everyone to their hometown for a census. This was not necessarily something they expected to do. It was certainly not something they wanted to do. They weren't excited about going. There was certainly unrest in the hearts of many people at that time, but in the midst of all of that and more, Jesus came as the Prince of Peace. You know, it's amazing to me that you can go back to the Old Testament, you can go back years, generations even, before Jesus came, and read words that were so clearly spoken about Him. In in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says this, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on His shoulders, and He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, I think we love reading these little lists of the the names of Jesus, these descriptions of Jesus that appear in several places in Scripture. I, I think we like them. We say, "Oh, oh, isn't that beautiful?" And we we put it on a on a poster, or we frame it and we hang it on our wall because we I mean these are the names of Jesus. This is cool. Or we put it on a T-shirt because we like this list and we say, "Yeah, these are these are awesome. These are great descriptions of who Jesus is." But I wonder if we understand what those even mean, especially when it comes to the Prince of Peace. You see, I think think when we call Jesus the Prince of Peace, sometimes we make an incorrect jump to seeing Jesus as another symbol of peace. But Jesus isn't a symbol of peace. Jesus is peace. And as that Prince of Peace, He offers us the gift of peace this Christmas and, and always. And so we open the present every week. And so today we open that gift of peace. I want you to think, think about this. The word peace came into play right away as a part of the original birth announcement made by the angels to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. In verse 13, it says, Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. God came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. Peace came to earth. Jesus is peace. If you've been able to join us throughout this Christmas series, you know that we've been opening a gift each week as we approach Christmas, and and we've opened hope, we opened love, and we opened joy, and now peace. And I believe that if we allow these gifts to be the foundation of our celebration this year, we'll have no trouble keeping our hearts and minds focused on what's most important. That God, in spite of our sin and shame, made a way for us to be with Him for eternity. And that plan started long before the birth of Jesus, and yet with the birth of Jesus, to use a a term that's a little little more current, with the birth of Jesus, things got real. Jesus was born, He grew into a man, He walked this earth, experiencing all that you and I experience, and He did so without sinning. Which is crazy, because we can't seem to go a day without sinning. Then He took our sin and our shame to the cross, took our punishment that we deserved, so that we wouldn't have to. And when they buried Him, it seemed that death had won. But it didn't, because three days later He rose again. And because of what He did for us, we have the opportunity to know a peace that's beyond anything we can understand in this world or experience in this world in heaven with Him for eternity. And I think we have to be honest this morning that our world today 
is really not that different than the world Jesus was born into when it comes to a lack of peace. I mean, some things are different. We, we, we're technologically advanced, but a lot of those things have added stress and anxiety and fatigue to our already busy schedules. The world looks a lot different, but we still strive and struggle to simply carry on a lot of the time like so many probably did back then. Our world rages with violence and unrest and even war. And we absolutely have a ton to be thankful for, we do, but peace does and can seem to be so easily squeezed out of our lives. And we often don't even realize it. Think about it this way. Have you ever been alone somewhere when the power suddenly goes out? It gets eerily quiet. And the reason it seems so eerie is because we often don't even realize how noisy things were before the power went out. Just in my office, when I, when I was writing these words, I stopped to, to make a list of what in my office, if I really thought about it, was making noise right then. My computer fan was running. I could hear that. I had music playing. I, I usually do. My fingers were typing on the keyboard. That was noisy. My lights were humming just a little bit, something I don't always realize. I had a space heater in my office. It happened to be on at the time. There was construction going on in another part of the building that I could hear in my office. There were cars driving by outside that I could hear in my office. Now, I would have told you that in that moment, my office was pretty peaceful, but that's, that's a good amount of noise. You see, we get so used to busyness and noise that we create for ourselves a new standard of peace that isn't actually very peaceful. It's not really peace, it's, it's a tolerance for noise. But we say, well, this is as peaceful as it's going to get, so this is my new standard. It doesn't have to be that way. Because if we can take the time to experience peace and allow God to silence the noises in our lives, we'll gain a new understanding of what peace can really be when it comes from God. There are several ways that, that peace shows up in our lives, that, that peace manifests itself in our lives, and so we're going to look at a couple of those today. I'm going to share one with you, and Larry's going to share a couple with you. The first one is this. Peace manifests itself when we have peace with God. It starts between us and God. It has to, or we can't go any deeper. Have you seen this before? One of those deals where you can read it both ways. I know it's kind of trippy, right? So no God, no peace, no God, no peace. And I've always honestly thought that that was pretty cheesy. Maybe you've seen it on a t-shirt, bumper sticker, but it's absolutely true. When we know God, we can experience peace because of who Jesus is and what He did in coming to this earth, dying for us. Any peace that we experience outside of that is hardly peace in comparison with the peace of God. And we so often tie Jesus' life and death directly with salvation, which is right. Because what he did for us allows us to, to have salvation. And yet, listen to what Paul ties in in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. 
You see Paul very tightly there ties together salvation and peace. Jesus brings and allows us peace with our Creator God. He, he's, like our, he's like our peace go-between. Our first and greatest need for peace is to be at peace with God, and Jesus makes that possible. You see, when peace entered the world, our natural position with God was not actually peace at all. Sin put us and continues to put us at odds with God. And in that, there is no peace. Our sin and His holiness, they're not compatible. They are in conflict with one another, which is the opposite of peace. And yet, because of what God did for us through Jesus Christ, that divide, that conflict, is overcome. And when we believed in Jesus and accepted salvation, when we become His followers, we have the opportunity to be at peace with God because the barriers of conflict and sin that, that, that we could do nothing about were removed. We're right with God, and in that there is peace. You know, throughout this series, I've, I've fought the urge to designate any one of these gifts as the greatest one that we were going to study. And I'm still not sure that any rise above the others. But it's hard to deny that this peace God offers is an amazing gift. But this idea of peace, it goes even deeper. And Larry's going to take us a little deeper. Okay, so we're talking about how peace manifests itself. And uh, Craig covered how that peace manifests or makes itself known uh, when we have peace with God. The second way that peace manifests itself is when we have peace within. Conflict, sin, and suffering tends to draw or drag us away from the peace of Christ. Now, God, because he created us, is fully aware of the unrest that we feel within ourselves. So he made you, he made me, so he knows our deepest thoughts, uh, our deepest hurts, joys, and desires. And so he knows your need for peace within. And he knows the world surrounding us is broken. There is no peace in the world today. Uh, People are at war in different parts of the world. Um, There are situations that could explode at any point, and war could break out even further. So the world is broken. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Okay, so here's an order. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, that, that's a beautiful promise there. Uh, it, it's a powerful peace that the Scripture says we can experience. And so I want you to look at the the phrase, um, God's peace transcends all understanding. It goes beyond anything, everything uh, that we understand. It defies 
our world. It defies the circumstances in which we find ourselves. It fills us uh, when everything that's going on around us uh, is not conducive to peace. In other words, it shows itself most strongly in circumstances where, where peace just doesn't make sense. Maybe there's a tragedy in your life. How can you have peace in tragedy or an illness or a conflict? It might be an interpersonal conflict, uh, even with your family or a heartache. No matter how bad your situation, we need to understand that God is there with you, offering the, the gift of his peace that is stronger than whatever difficulty you may face. Now, while God's peace is calm and restorative, it is also strong and active. It has the power uh, to guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's a very strong uh, way of expressing that. It's strong enough to defy our very worst nightmares. I think one thing that's interesting about this verse is that we often read it and we take it as a type of formula. And so if we can just follow the formula, pray, thank God, and ask him about everything, then we'll get God's peace. While Paul was describing those actions as part of the practice of peace, we should remember that this is not an automatic formula. God gave the gift of peace in the form of a person, Jesus, the Prince of Peace. As a matter of fact, if we had another week to go before Christmas, uh, we would have talked about the gift of Jesus because uh, hope, love, joy, and peace, they all come in the package along with Jesus. In verse 5, here's what Paul said before he penned verses 6 and 7. He said, let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, we males have difficulty with this because, you know, we're not about gentle. We think that's uh, feminine, you know, gentle. Uh, you know, we think of ourselves as rough and tough, uh, but the Bible says that we need to let our gentleness be evident to all. He says, the Lord is near. Gentleness tends to represent um, humility. And we need that. We guys, especially, we need that. Jesus' presence with us is the reason that we do not need to be anxious. Now, sometimes we get anxious about things. It might be about our health. It might be about a situation might have something to do with a job or maybe you don't have a job and so you're anxious about a job. Jesus is the very reason that we can have peace within. The Bible says that his name is Emmanuel, which is God with us, uh, who offers us the gift of peace that goes beyond, that exceeds understanding, which in turn guards our hearts and minds in him. Now, we practice what Paul says. We practice the actions of 
prayer, petition, and thanksgiving. And as we do so, we connect with him. Now, here, here's the kicker, though. Uh, some of us don't pray very much. Some of us don't petition God much. Some of us don't thank God much. And so the, the more that we pray, the more that we ask God for things, petition him and, and give thanks, the stronger our connection is to him, the stronger our relationship is to him. We practice these actions, and they draw us into a closer relationship. Now, peace comes as a result of the transformation we experience as the Holy Spirit shapes our perspective and realigns our hearts. And, you know, my heart's not always aligned with the heart of God. I'm going to guess your heart is not always aligned with the heart of God. But the Holy Spirit can do that. And that's what we're talking about here. Our troubles may rage on, but the Spirit gives us new eyes to see and the peace of Christ guards us and calms us and actually changes our outlook. May this be the practice and power of peace that we experience at Christmas and beyond. Well, there's a third way that peace manifests itself, and that is peace manifests itself as we experience the peace to come. Okay, that sounds future, and and it really is. We've considered peace with God along with peace within. Now I want to talk about peace that's on the outside of us, uh, peace that is, is beyond There is a major need for peace outside of us, but within this world that we live in. There are situations that we can't change. We'd like to. There are relationships that are broken, and we certainly would like to mend those. There's chaos that we can't calm. There is hurt that we can't heal There is violence that we can't understand. So what do we do about this need for peace in our world? Well, we anticipate Jesus' return. Peace we long for in our world is a peace that is still to come. Let me remind you that there were people looking forward and anticipating the birth of the Messiah 4,000 years before he was born. So we're talking generation after generation after generation was looking for the coming of the Messiah, praying for the coming of the Messiah, hoping for the coming of the Messiah, but they never did. Now, what we celebrate today is the time that he did, he actually came into the world. And so we talk a lot about his birth, uh, but we've talked about this enough here uh, in, in the church setting to know that he wasn't born just to give Mary and Joseph a child, start their family. Uh, he was born for a much greater purpose than just to live a life on earth, and that purpose was to die 
as a sacrifice in place in our place. And so he fulfilled that purpose. And so he brings peace uh, to us. Now, it's a final restoration. Um, we anticipate Jesus' return, but it's a final restoration that's promised in Scripture. So Jesus' followers have been waiting now uh, 2,000 years uh, for his return. And those in Jesus' day, his contemporaries, believed it was going to happen in their lifetime. But now it's been almost 2,000 years since then. Hasn't happened yet. In the meantime, as we wait for his return, we do so with longing for the day when God's peace will reign over all of mankind. Now listen to what Jesus said in John 16, verse 33. He said, I have told you these things. Now he's talking about his death, uh, which was imminent. Um, They're about to come and arrest him at this point. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. There will be a lot of turmoil here in just a short time. He's going to be arrested. He's going to go through trials. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be crucified. And so he's telling the disciples this. And and yet he said, uh, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now it's interesting to me that he said that before he was crucified. He said that before he resurrected. He saw it as an event that in the mind of God and in historical perspective had already taken place because it was going to happen. The transition was in process. Now Jesus recognized the brokenness of the world that we live in. He knows He understands how and why we can become discouraged. But here in this passage, in John chapter 16, he encourages us us to take heart to remember that one of his titles, he is the Prince of Peace. Now in Jesus, we have and find and remember peace both for our present and future. There's a peace today and there's a complete peace that is yet to come. In the time between, the Bible tells us that we are to trust in Jesus' promise that he has indeed overcome the world. And in the meantime, we return to Jesus for a renewal of peace. We we have that relationship with him. We have access to him. He made that possible through his coming. It's a similar process to what Paul described in Philippians chapter 4, where we read those verses earlier. It's the deepening of our relationship with him. And it shapes us and holds us and carries us to all that we are 
and all we can experience because of him. So let me be personal. Where is your chaos today? My guess is a lot of you have chaos going on in your lives. Where is it? Where is your warfare? Where is your unrest? Let me encourage you that the Prince of Peace is greater than your chaos. He's greater than the warfare that you're engaged in. He's greater than any unrest you're experiencing. His peace is more powerful than those who war against you and all of that unrest. This is the peace that we long for. This is the peace that we are awaiting. Jesus has come once. Um, We enjoy uh, the fruit of his first coming, but we look forward to and anticipate his return, a time when God's peace will be made perfect or complete uh, in this world where all mankind dwells. Let's also remember that the peace of Jesus is also here now and waiting to fill us all. Listen to our theme verse, 2 Thessalonians 3.16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all, all of you. We're at that time where perhaps you need to make a decision. Is Jesus Lord of your life? Is he controlling your life? Does he call the shots? uh, Or do you continue to call the shots and have, you know, a partial allegiance to him? I don't, you know, I don't know. Maybe, Maybe he's not Lord of your life at all. If so, you need to accept him as Lord and Savior. You need to make a decision. And so we're going to sing, stand together and sing our song of decision. Year. Uh, the greatest gift we could ever get uh, on, under a Christmas tree will pale so much in comparison to what you gave us when you sent Jesus for us. God, I pray that we would, we would know that and that we would remember that and we would live like that's what we believe. God, keep us safe until we meet again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.